When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Clap, clap your hands and stomp your feet. You're listening. You're listening to the Clap Your Hands Podcast. Hosted by Elliot Shore Parks and Kyle Newbeck. Here they come. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Clap Your Hands Podcast, a special edition of the Clap Your Hands Podcast. Brought to you by Odyssey Sports. Brought to you by Sports Radio 94 WIP. The playoff run is about to begin. We have Kyle as normal. But with the Brooklyn Nets series coming up, uh, the Sixers' first-round opponent, there's a lot to get into with this series, so we wanted to bring on one of the best Nets beat writers there is, Christian Winfield from the New York uh, Daily News. Christian, what's up, man? Thank you for uh, taking the time before this quick playoff series to uh, to do a podcast. <laughs> sure, man. We got a quick playoff series. That's fun. You know, the Nets <laughs> seem to think it'll be a competitive series, so uh, we'll yeah. see what will happen there. But, uh, yeah, a couple of days of practice, and then uh, I'll be in Philly. Kyle, we got to grab a drink. Oh, no, wait. The game is daytime, and I'm fasting for Ramadan. Maybe game two. Maybe game two we grab a drink after after tip up. Yeah, we'll we'll figure something out, man. You'll be yeah. in town for a few days, and if not, go. uh, when we're, when I'm up in New York, we'll uh, we'll make yeah. something happen. Let's make well, that. Kyle happen. is uh, Kyle's the king of Philly when it comes to the Sixers. So if you go to a bar with them during the playoffs, you might get uh, you might get interrupted too many times. Uh, I experience that, that, man. Yeah. Yeah, it reminds me of I went with I went to Chicago with Nick Friedel, and that man was getting like applause from the audience like, had different people stopping them saying oh my god it's been a long time i i knew it was official when we went to go cover a knicks game and him and tom thibodeau were just sitting like next to each other chopping it up for like 20 minutes yeah. i need to see i need to see the kyle king of philly video too <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm not sure i'm that popular but we'll work on it we still got some friedel's yeah. got some years in the game ahead of me so sure, only sure. when the uh only when the sixers are winning kyle is super popular when they're losing and he's, uh, <laughs> no, everybody hates him yeah I know how that goes. doesn't seem to be how that is but Look, the playoffs have started, and like I said, first-round series, Sixers-Nets. So we wanted to have you on to talk about a lot of things. Obviously, we'll get into the series, uh, the matchups. You said the Nets thinks it, that it could be competitive. Excited to hear why they would think that, some of the reasons you think they would have a chance, and really some of the problems that the Sixers pose for the Nets. But before we get into the, the nitty-gritty of it, there are two players, obviously, that you covered, one currently and one you used to, that are very important in Sixers land. Uh James Harden, who was with the Nets for a little bit. And then, of course, Ben Simmons, who's there now. So I wanted to talk really about both of them because me, Kyle has brought this up on the pod, and I think it's so true. If you would have said a year ago that the Sixers and Nets were playing in the playoffs, it would have probably been easily the most hype series of the first round in terms of matchups, storylines, all primetime games. Instead, Ben's not playing. The James drama isn't really there, and they're opening Saturday at 1 o'clock. So it might not be the exciting series everyone expected, but the Ben Simmons storyline is still kind of there. So let's talk about Ben. Let's talk about James, and let's start with Ben. So Ben's been there now for, I mean, it feels like forever, but about a year and a half. First, just what's it been like, your experience of covering him, uh, of him? Like, where is he at right now? Do, does he even still speak? Do you think he'll be in Philly for the games? Just 
kind of where are you at with Ben uh, during your time covering him? Ben is like, uh, it's kind of like a mystery almost, right? Like he comes in and, you know, you don't really see him in the locker room now. And, and this is the second time where he's having a season that, you know, well, the first time when he came in the, the Harden trade, it never really started because he never played. Right. Um, but there was that game of, oh, he might play, right? Which was just like fake hope, false hope for basically an entire franchise thinking, oh, this guy's going to come in in the playoffs and save us against the Celtics. That wasn't fair. Even if he did come back, he wasn't going to have much of an impact. Um, this year, though, you start to see some of the complications with how he fits alongside other players, right? You see kind of the the potential of him being this super athletic guy who can create for people and lock up on all of the sides of the floor. But then you realize, okay, well, if you got Ben on the floor, what does that mean for Nick Claxton, right? Where do you actually play Ben? Do you play him at the five? Do you play him at the four? Do you play him at the one? If you play him at the one, who the hell do you put back there with him to take the pressure off him in the in the in the backcourt? So it, it's difficult. Uh, and, and Jacques Vaughn has actually spoken directly to that, to the difficulty of playing him uh, in terms of who you have on the roster. But some of that is, you know, you can fix that by adding some of the right players. Right. That's that's that part. The other part is, OK, will Ben ever get healthy enough to get back to that 100 percent? You know what we saw from him in Philly. And that's the big question mark, because we don't know. Right. Like we're talking about a guy who's got now significant back issues that have drawn out he had back issues dating to when he was playing for y'all they've recurred here and and they've shut him down now two seasons in a row um it's it's unfortunate because i i think we all at least want ben to get back to a place where he's happy right and he's playing at a high level and, and you know he's able to impact the game but you know backs are so tricky that like they could go either way you could have michael porter jr right or or you could have you know Five points a game, five points, five rebounds, five assists, which is pretty much what we saw out of Ben Simmons in his last few games. In his last four games in Brooklyn this season, four points, four rebounds, four assists. I made the joke so many times. That's not the 444 Hove was talking about in Brooklyn. Right? That's, not, that's not what we expected. But, you know, there's part of this fan base and even part of me who you love a good success story, right? You love a guy who's kind of gotten kicked down and, and kind of dusts himself off, gets back up and returns to, to that kind of pedestal. I think for the Nets, they're hoping that that can happen, even if it's just so they can reclaim some of his trade value right now. From what I've been told, it's really close to zero right now. No one wants to give anything up for him. But at the same time, you look at this contract that he has two years left, 77 million. Part of me thinks the Nets are hoping that he's able to get back to form, right? Because if he's able to be that guy who we saw in Philly, could be a game changer, especially with a team that is so heavily relying on the defensive end. It's just so far away to even think about that. He... when he was actually playing some of his best basketball this year, he got moved to a bench role, right? Coming off the bench behind the new guys that came in in the deal. Um, that's just a tough such situation for him. Um, I'm not sure where this team goes forward with him. I mean, I kind of want to see if he's able to even just become a good basketball player again. And it's crazy that we're talking about him in this respect, but he's yeah. just fallen so far from where we're used to seeing him that I don't know when you ask me what it looks like for him. I don't know what it looks like because we haven't seen him. We don't see him in, in practice like that. We don't see him in the locker room. Uh, it's a tough situation. Yeah, so I'm, I'm glad you brought up Jacques Vaughn's comments because I thought that was one of the first times. And obviously there was the the end of his tenure in Philly. There was the sure. kind of back and forth with Doc where, you know, Doc sort of openly questioned or was questioned about whether he could win with him as a point guard. And he said he doesn't know. And, you know, that deteriorates the relationship but Jacques Vaughn's very transparent he's like look if I make this decision to play Ben what does that mean as you pointed out for Nick Claxton and you know I've said to Elliot on this podcast 
Nick Claxton has just been straight up better and more important yeah. for the Nets all season than, than Ben Simmons has been. And so I, I guess it's confronting this idea of like the idea of Ben Simmons, which you know, a lot of people nationally have said for years, well, make him a small ball center, just put shooters around him and do this and do that. And you see that there are, you know, there are real compromises you have to make to do that, right? Like Ben's not a rim protector. He's not a center. Like that's, yeah. that's not what he should be expected to do. So I guess th- at this point, what do you think his view or maybe the Nets view is of, you know, Ben's long-term trajectory just positionally? Because I know the big thing when he started in Philly was Brett Brown says, look, he's going to be the point guard. The ball is going to be in his hands. Like he's going to control uh, the offense and so on and so forth. And I guess, you know, the big part of this is like, what does Ben think he is? Because I think, you know, Christian, from covering the league in and out, like a lot of times it's not necessarily what a guy is best at that determines where he plays because the guys who are making a lot of money, who have the big time agents, who have a lot of sway, what they want oftentimes supersedes maybe what is best for them or best for the team and best for the collective. And that's sort of a an ongoing battle that these teams have to fight. You know, I think this has to have been a humbling experience for Ben Simmons, right? To be moved to a bench role, to be that star, then be told, hey, you know, we need you to come off the bench, to have your coach come out and say, hey, we don't know what lineups can work best, so we're just going to move him to the bench, right? That's that's tough, right? And then on top of that, you've got a guy who started every game in his career pretty much before he got to Brooklyn, and then out of nowhere, he's trying to figure out this new role. When he came to Brooklyn, Steve Nash was kind of mentioned, and Steve Nash was the head coach at the time. He said, hey, you know, I had spoken to him on the side. He said, you know, I, I can kind of see why people would make that Draymond Green comparison, right? He can, you know, mm-hmm. play defense, get the ball, push in transition, create for others. He can't quite shoot. Well, Draymond can't quite shoot either, so I guess there's no. <laughs> Draymond there's- does shoot, though. <laughs> right, yeah. right, he'll at least try it from time to time. So you had the Draymond comp when he came in. Then he didn't play. Then Jacques Vaughn comes in and says, hey, you know, we want Ben to be our point guard on offense and maybe our center on defense. That doesn't quite work because now you're getting out-rebounded, even though you're still getting out-rebounded, even though he's not in the rotation. Then you say, okay, we're going to put Ben as our backup center. We're going to try Ben as our backup point forward. Maybe we'll try Ben as our backup point guard. The Nets have put him all over the floor. And part of it is roster construction, right? Like, you can't really... You know, that's why I was such a, a proponent of, hey, go get a legitimate stretch five. If you're going to play with Ben, you need to space that floor out, right? They never really got one, but it's just difficult, right? When you just consider the different pieces that the Nets have right now or had when they were actually trying to fold them in. Um, so, yeah, it's tough. I don't know exactly what that long-term position looks like for him. I'm thinking it's the four, right? But you really have to have f- four other players on the floor who are going to be able to shoot. Because if you don't, you're just leaving yourself open to, to lose a game in so many different ways. And on top of that, you know, the, the most damning thing that, that Jacques said about Ben really was that he's not stringing together full efforts for his time on the floor, right? Like if he was yeah. playing 25 minutes, he's only playing 15 of them hard. And, and that's kind of a non-negotiable in and of itself, right? So yeah. I think before we even get to where Ben sees himself, ideally, Ben's got to be a productive NBA player. And he hasn't been for well, most of the season. And that's what's so crazy to me. So obviously me and Kyle were both here for the whole Ben thing in Philly. And that year he sat out, you remember mental health was a big kind of just talking point for why he was out, why he couldn't play for the Sixers. And I do think it's interesting when you look at how that's aged at the time, he caught a lot of heat for, you know, this isn't really a mental health issue. You just, you, uh, you just don't want to play. Why are you using this serious issue to kind of explain why you're out? But the further we get, and I'm curious to get your take on this, to me, from afar now, it looks like Ben is just 
like mentally just, I don't want to say gone, but just such a different person. Like what he's been through, where his career is at. I just wonder if, and you're right, the back issue is obviously very serious. I'm curious from your perspective, like, do you think Ben even has it in him to, to rebound from everything he's been through? And then the second part of that would be, what do the fans think of Ben? Because such a big part of Ben's time in Philly is how the fa- the fans, they supported him, but at the end really kind of turned on him for obvious reasons. So where do you see Ben mentally from your time talking to him? And then what's the fans' perception of him? Because I'd imagine there has to be a lot of frustration. Yeah, um, Ben mentally, I wish I could say that I, I pick up Ben, I pick up the phone every night at 1159 and call Ben before he goes to sleep <laughs> and talk to me about how he's feeling before he wakes up in the morning. Amen, amen, yeah. I'm probably the last person he'd pick up the phone for right now. But, um, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if there's some second guessing going on in his head now, given everything he's had to go through in his career up to this point, given, you know, how things kind of unfolded for him this season. Like I said, we're talking about a guy who started every single game pretty much of his career, came to Brooklyn. Now he's out the rotation with the coach saying out loud, hey, we don't know how to best play this guy with the guys that are on our roster. Um, it's tough. I think if any one of us went through that, we'd have some 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 questions of our own game, some second guessing going on. But at the same time, I mean, Back injuries are not easy, right? And you have to know that it's going to be a long road ahead of you when you first start. And I think he's got at least a decent circle around him. He's got a great medical staff here in Brooklyn that's walking him through the steps. Um, I'd assume he's at least optimistic of his odds, if not, you know, excited about his ability to maybe put this back thing behind him. But that's easier said than done. Like I said, we've seen guys who the back back just recurs. It's almost like a hamstring, right? Like once you think you've gone past it, it's going to come back. Um, So... I forgot what your second question was. This is how the fans feel about it. I mean, oh yeah, no, the, the, the trade know, looks like a disaster. So soured <laughs> on Ben Simmons pretty quickly. Once I mean, the fans kind of turned on him in that first year when he didn't play. Right when, right. when you come to Brooklyn and you're saying, okay, well, I'm going to come be the missing piece. I see Kevin and Kai. We can set them up. I think they're most upset with that, right? If you get a healthy Ben Simmons, maybe Kevin and Kyrie are still here. It's possible, right? If, if Ben Simmons mm-hmm. is 100. percent Right. And he's this dynamic player on both ends of the floor. Maybe Kevin and Kyrie are like, hey, you know, we can make something work here. Clearly, that wasn't the case. Um, so I, I think fans are a little bit sour. I've been have been sour on Simmons since he got here, since he didn't play the first time around. The issue is this season, he showed us a little bit of, of, of potential. Right. He showed us he can play hard in spurts. And when he plays hard, he looks good. He's a guy who can, you know, you know how fast he is, Kyle. You know how quickly he can get up and down the floor mm-hmm. I mean, for guys. It's just you don't see that often enough. And then you see the DNP uh, calf or back, and then you see that kind of turn into it went from he's going to miss one or two games. Okay, that guy's not coming back this season. And now you have fans questioning his mental toughness. Right. And we don't know if it's mental toughness, if it's actually the back, he had a nerve impingement, you know, but the the fans are kind of sour on him. But at this point, you're looking at the next you're looking at his contract, 77 million over the next two years. If you were the GM of any team, you're probably not taking that based on what you've seen from him this season. So it's a tough situation. I don't know if the Nets are going to be able to get anything for him this summer, uh, if they're even trying to move him this summer. Um, but I know fans want answers pretty soon. So you brought up Katie and Kyrie, and I, I want to ask a, a pretty simple question. Sure. Do you think James Harden was vindicated for wanting out of Brooklyn? Oh, man. With, so with hindsight being 2020. Yeah, it's so unfortunate, man. If part of me wishes the Nets never traded him, right? It, it, it all boils back down to how the Nets kind of handled that situation where Kyrie asked, you know, where he says, I'm not getting vaccinated. I feel like, you know, if the Nets say, hey, you can play road games, but not home games, maybe we still have a big three here in Brooklyn, right? Because that might be enough to, to sell James Harden out. Okay, this looks good. Vaccine mandate coming in March. Let's see if I could thug it out. If not, 
request that trade in the offseason. I still think if you wait till the offseason, you still end up with the same or a similar package, getting Ben Simmons back, maybe a couple other guys. Obviously not going to have Drummond because he's a free agent. Um, but that, that's just difficult. Yes. And, and yes, James Harden has to be vindicated. Smart <laughs> in the room, clearly. Um, he could be going to the NBA Finals this year. Meanwhile, Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving are in different towns. Um, it, it's crazy how that all worked out, though, right? Because once that trade goes down and you're thinking, okay, Kevin, Kyrie, Ben, you know, this isn't a bad trade. But once you realize you're getting maybe 25% of Ben Simmons, it becomes a terrible trade, yeah. right? And, you know, I am I always wondered, hey, did the Sixers not – was there no physical done, right? Like, was there no some sort of medical trail that showed you, okay, Ben not, might not be ready to play, like, consistent basketball for the next year and a half? I don't know. But – it's tough. Clearly, the Sixers won that trade. I mean, you've got people saying Sean Marks got fleeced, all types of stuff. Um, it's tough. I, I think so. I think James Harden is clearly the best player in that trade. And if you had James Harden right now versus Ben Simmons with this roster, you know, I think the Nets much would have a much higher ceiling for sure. Well, what's crazy about the Harden thing is it didn't look like that for a little bit. Like last year, Harden was not that good. He was still dealing with, uh, to a certain extent, the the injury, but he just didn't play that well. He was really bad in the playoffs, which I think sometimes his playoff track record is a little overly criticized. He certainly has had some bad games, but he's had great series as well. I'm curious from your time with James in Brooklyn. Are you surprised to see him get back to this level? I mean, you can make the argument he's been a, I don't know, top 15 player in the league this year, if not when he's at his best, even higher than that. And in Brooklyn, he certainly didn't look like that, at least last year. Um, so have you been surprised to see him uh, play at this high of a level this year? I mean, yeah, when I was watching him in Brooklyn, he was dogging it. I mean, <laughs> he was trying to get out of there on purpose, which he probably, which he definitely was in hindsight. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I think it just goes to show you that when someone's motivated enough and when they have like when they're when they're in an ideal situation, they'll work hard. Right. Like that's not to say that James Hart wasn't working hard in Brooklyn, but it was clear that there was just something missing from his game. And on top of that, I, I think it has to be mentioned that that year he was here in Brooklyn, that the refs kind of completely changed the way that they were approaching foul calls. Right. And I think that went under the radar or something that really impacted his game that he had to work through. That's something we were asking about every other day. Hey, look, they're not giving you these fouls anymore. What are you going to do? And he was pretty much like, I don't know. I got to figure it out. <laughs> safe to say he's figured it out, right? There's, there's, a, there's a balance there um, and what that looks like. I also think the NBA may have also like maybe been a little, become a little bit more lenient on some of those foul calls. Um, but yeah, no, the way he's playing in Philly, I mean, that's what Nets fans always wanted. Can James, can that, if that James Harden would have been here, it might've been a different story, but I mean, you got Joel Embiid. You, you just have – I love what, what Philly has this year. I don't know if it's good enough to win a championship when you consider Milwaukee. That's just going to be tough. But, you know, Philly's a good team. And Harden at the center of that, even if he's not trying to be the guy who's going for 40 every night, he's a guy who's just going to set the plate for everybody and score when he wants to. I am interested to see how he looks in this playoff series, though, because I think the Nets would be more willing to lose – through him than lose to Joel Embiid, if that makes sense, right? I think yeah. they'd send a triple team if that meant, okay, James Harden's got to shoot 50 shots. Can he beat us tonight? So I'm I'm interested in seeing what that looks like. But at the same time, you still got Maxi. I think Maxi's going to be tough. I think Melton's going to have a big series. Tobias Harris is coming home for a couple games. Uh, I don't know how long the series is going to go. Yeah, so to that point, I guess, I don't know if you how much you've heard from Jacques and you know the guys on the team yet, but it seems to me on paper – the idea is probably going to be they'll switch everything. They can live with Claxton on Harden when they run those pick and rolls. 
with James and Joel. And then they're just going to double Joel anyway. So like, it doesn't matter if, if they have, you know, McHale or Cam Johnson or Dorian Finney-Smith, whoever it is, as the primary defender in that action on Joel, the second guy is coming as soon as the ball gets to him. And my my assumption is that this is going to be a series where they're going to hit him from all angles. They're going to turn him into a passer and they're going to say, somebody else beat us. Now, I, I don't know if that's how it plays out, but to me, that's how it looks on paper. I think Clax has done a pretty good job on Harden when they when he's defended him this year. I think he has... He sent him to the line quite a few times, but in terms of just defending him straight up and when he actually shoots the ball, Clax has been great. He's been one of the best switch defenders in the league. So, I mean, I don't know if you've heard anything different, but are you assuming that's kind of going to be the plan for Brooklyn coming into the series? I think that's their only hope. You know what I'm saying? You're not going to guard, <laughs> you're not going to guard Joel and be straight up. Um, I do think we'll see to that point a little bit Dorian Finney Smith on James Harden on, on, on Joel and B, excuse me. I think we'll see, uh, second year setter Dayron Sharp maybe get a little bit of playoff action. Um, but other than that, you know your core guys, right? So, yeah, it's going to be blitzing. It's going to be sending doubles from places he wouldn't expect it. It's going to be maybe Jacques Vaughn stepping on the court himself and trying to be that third or fourth <laughs> defender. It's going to take everything because, you know, I, I think the thing that came out of uh, practice day one was, you know, Embiid averages 30 points, 33 points a game, and a third of those come out of the foul line, right? So the Nets are very aware of that, and they want to minimize the number of times he's going there. But how do you do that? The man's 280 pounds, seven feet. He's just going to walk his way to the foul line every time because you're not going to stop him from getting to the rim. So I think that'll be difficult. Um, but even on top of that, and this is where I just think the series gets out of hand, Joel Embiid has seen all types of defensive coverage. It's like Kevin Durant said. He's seen everything that any team can throw at him. At this point, Joel Embiid is probably anticipating something. Is Jacques Vaughn going to come up with something new that we've never seen before? Maybe. He said he loves making adjustments. But you've got Tyrese Maxey. You've got James Harden. P.J. Tucker, I think, is going to be able to get a lot of open threes. Um, Tobias Harris, hopefully he can find a shot. I'm always pulling for the New York guys, man. I need Tobias Harris to go <laughs> for 20. Uh, but it's just going to be a tough series. Um, so I, I don't know. I know the Nets want to get out. They want to play fast and run, and hope and they hope that that maybe tires Joel and beat out a little bit. Um, they want to shoot a ton of threes because they know that's where their offense is. Uh, but when you're just talking about their roster, there's no real matchup. And this is probably in, in all the basketball. Most teams don't have a matchup for Joel Embiid, right? So yeah. you got to guard him as a team. That doesn't always work. So what do you do then? We're going to see a lot of scrambling. And uh, I think it's going to come down to a lot of your other guys to make plays. But your other guys do that. So it's going to be tough. So, so on that point, that, I wanted to, br to quick bridge into – we don't have to go too deep down the MVP wormhole. But, you know, I've spent a lot of time on this podcast this year saying – I think this is the first time I've thought that Joel is maybe at the level where you can say he might be the best player in the league, or at least he's like in that conversation. Like, yes, he's been in the MVP races the last couple of years, but he still is like the playoff track record isn't there or he's missing in crunch time or there's too many yeah. turnovers or he's not efficient enough. And this feels to me like the year that it all came together. So I guess I'm just curious kind of where you see him in terms of the league hierarchy and honestly who you think the MVP of the league has been this year because that's been like the only thing that people care about talking about for <laughs> right. the last like three months or so yeah so last year I had votes and I voted Joel Embiid as my MVP uh number one. Oh, so. now you'll be a friend of the podcast I forever say, yeah I, I thought he should have won last year they didn't they, they with that, that yeah. um I agree this year I, I think Joel Embiid should win this year I, it, it's just difficult 
to vote for anybody else. I mean, yes, Giannis is always going to have a case. Jokic is always going to have a case. Somehow LeBron is always going to have a case even mm-hmm. this far into his career. But when you're just talking about dominance, there's something about dominance that I like, right? Because it just reminds you of Shaq. And Shaq is one of my favorite players. And it just the ability to for no one to be able to, to handle you, for the help to automatically come before you even touch the ball, love it, right? So mm-hmm. there's that. There's no way to actually game plan for him other than, you know, sell out. That's what Kevin I, – I love referring to what Kevin would call defenses, right? I asked Mikhail Bridges yesterday, you know, are you ready for, for what the for what exotic defenses Philly's going to run at you as the number one option? He goes, I don't know what exotic means, but I know I'm going to be the focal point of this scouting report. Let me tell you what exotic means. Kevin Durant would have the ball, and you've got guys from different areas of the court who are, like, faking to double-team him from the corner, and then they run back to the corner – it's crazy. I, I I don't know what he's gonna look like uh, as the number one option, but it it's pretty it's it's interesting this series. And I'm probably getting off topic here because I forgot what you would ask me. It, it's just <laughs> is the series is a little interesting because I think it's gonna come down to a, a chess match of sorts between Jacques Vaughn and Doc Rivers. And I think Jacques Vaughn thinks he can take Doc Rivers. Where I think he I think he thinks that you know it, it was interesting yesterday we were talking about the relationship between Jacques and Doc and Jacques said, Hey, you know, I played under him uh, for a year on the magic. And then somebody else goes, Oh, so you guys are friends. And he goes, I didn't say all that. Now it's not like we're going to get pizza or cheesecake after the game. So I I, want to see what that looks like. But at the end of the day, um, Joel Embiid, there's nothing you can really do, do with him because he's just that strong, that good of a player. Um, And those guys tend to have their way. So curious. I'm curious what your, both your perception that when you talk to people around the league, because in Philly, Embiid can be a somewhat polarizing figure. Like I think people are happy he's about to win MVP, but at the same time, he's been here a long time. They haven't been out of the second round. We're being honest. He has not played great in a series that they lost. He doesn't carry all the blame, but he has not been like a 37 point per game scorer in a seven game series loss. He's had games where he's not been good. So just what is your perception of Embiid entering these playoffs? You mentioned you voted for him last year, but do you think these are a critically important playoff series for Embiid? And where do you think he is in the hierarchy of the league? Um, Well, I, I think it's interesting to think about that for a couple of reasons. Number one, you've got the breadcrumbs of James Harden maybe going back to, Philadelphia, to uh, Houston, right? I, I think that's kind of like the big elephant in the room. If you guys think about that, actually, real quick, not to interrupt, but I I was hearing that, you know, kind of soon after he came to Brooklyn, that he might be interested in going back to Philly. I didn't believe it because it was it was Houston fans and people that were from Houston who were telling me. Right. It sounded like they were drunk. Oh, he's coming back to you. I don't believe I'm like, no, he's here in Brooklyn about to win the championship. But then when you see he's not happy in Brooklyn, goes to Philly, you kind of start to see the pattern. Okay, well, it's it's not it's, it's not, you know, far fetched. Um, so I think there's merit to that, but I think there's also the fact that, you know, this is also James Harden's, I think maybe last chance to win, right? If yeah. you go back to Houston, I don't think you're going to win. I think you're just going there for the vibes. Right. And we know what I mean. by You're going there to be the president essentially yeah, is exactly. what they call him down there. And, and, and ride off into the sunset. So I think for Embiid and Harden, these are an important, this is an important stretch here for both of them. This might be Embiid's best chance to win in some time. And this is definitely Harden's best chance to win uh, since playing with Kevin and Kyrie. So it, it's, it's tough. Um, how do I view Joel Embiid in terms of everything he went through and, and whatnot? You know, it's, I, I, like I said, I, I like players who number one, play both ends of the floor. I think that's a knock on, on Jokic, right? When you look at defensively, right. people be like, Oh, you know, there's some numbers, uh, but no, I mean, we're talking about rim protection. We're talking about dominance on the defensive end. 
I have Embiid with that. And then when you just look at Embiid's skill set, he's doing things that, you know, you have the comparisons. There's Kobe, there's Mike, and then there's Embiid all side by side doing the same, you know, post up, shimmy, turn around, fade away. You see those videos. It's like guys his size aren't supposed to be able to do things like that. So, you know, I, I, I like Embiid a lot. Um, I know there's a, a huge amount of respect in the Nets for him just because of the way that he's dominated them over the years. Mm. So, um, We'll see what they what they're able to do. If if you're telling me that Joel Embiid is averaging close to 40 points and nobody else is really having an input on the game, then maybe the Nets have a chance. But if it's Embiid having 35 and then Harden has 20 and 10 and then Maxi's got 18 and Melton's got 15 and Tobias Harris and hit three threes and PJ Tucker got 12 points, it's over. It's over. So 12 points from PJ is like hey, a, listen, that's listen. like 30 from anybody else. <laughs> that's a game one for PJ. Four corner threes is all you need. Um, another quick question because something you picked up on you said I thought was interesting like dominance, right? Like Shaq, nobody could handle him. When Giannis yeah. is in the open court, no one can handle him. Indeed, yeah. this year has turned into that. I just don't see that from Jokic. And I'm curious what you think of the comparison of them two because that is a hot topic here in Philadelphia. Like, People hate Jokic because he's got these MVPs they think Embiid deserved. Just from afar, and look, Kyle is the best. Elliot's Jokic's takes are bad, Christian. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if I'm feeling you on this one. I don't. What I'm watch. saying, like, he's not the dominant scorer Embiid is. He's not dominant on the defensive end. I'm just curious how you think they compare as players because I've always thought the perception that they're comparable or close is unfair to Embiid, at least now with the improvement he's made. Yeah, you know. I, I'm pushing back on the Jokic isn't dominant thing because I watched him come to Barclays and I think he had what 24 points, 21 rebounds, or maybe that was a bonus. I think he had like a 30 point triple double or something like that. And you're just watching this guy grab rebounds, push the ball up the length of the floor, and just do what he wants in terms of either create for his teammates. They dominate in two different ways, right? And, mm -hmm. and don't get it twisted. Jokic will still, you know, bully you to the paint and, and finish in a layup or grab his own rebound and finish again. You know, and then on top of that, he's got the playmaking badge, right? Whereas Embiid is just going to score, get to the line, maybe finish with a couple assists. Jokic is the engine of that entire Nuggets offense, right? That's that's right. another level of dominance in and of itself. Um, it, it's almost like we're watching the the Magic and, and Bird of this era, right? Kind of like have this war for MVP, even though they have two completely different play styles. They both dominate in their own ways. Um I would love to see a series like that. If you if you're telling me we get Philly, oh, man. Denver, that, yeah, that's the, the finals, dream. The dream would be crazy. Man. Yeah, but I I just don't think. And maybe this is a question for you guys as, as the, the the resident Philly fans or whatnot. How, how do you guys think you match up against? Was that Milwaukee? Because I think Boston has kind of fallen off a little bit, uh, especially towards the end of the season. But they're the Sixers boogie team. Like I as know, much I, as I think as they're their own boogie team right off. now. They got some. They got some some ghosts they need to figure out. Because they don't, they don't look like the same team that went to the finals last year. But you know, my hottest take was they didn't deserve to be there last year. Chris Middleton got hurt, and that that allowed them to kind of ride to the finals free. What do you guys think about a matchup with Boston? I mean, with, so uh, with to Boston. me, to me, if they beat Boston, I think they win the title. Like that's okay. how that's how big of a like ghost over the shoulder the Celtics have been. Wow! Yeah. If they can finally get that off their back, and Joel specifically, that to me feels like. Look, that's the wind in our sails. We're going to get this. Yeah. And I think the only path to them winning that series, honestly, is Joel just being the best player in the series. Like, I think if you just go through the rest of the individual matchups and, you know, player by player, bench by bench, yeah. all that stuff, then I, I think Boston has the advantage. But if you just say Joel's the best guy and if he's good enough to leverage that against a team of that caliber, then it's like, yeah. 
look, now he is at a title winning player level. And I like, I'll take him against Giannis and the Bucks. Like, I think Tyrese Maxey and James Harden have both had very good season against seasons against Milwaukee specifically. So, look, it, after that, it's off to the races, but it's that Boston series that kind of looms in the distance. Well, what's, what's interesting to me is in Philly, like the Celtics and Kyle <clears throat> on it are viewed as the team that they can't beat. Like I, I think a lot of Sixers fans might frankly pick them to beat the Bucs. Like they've played really? well against the Bucs, but the Celtics have been that team. So it's interesting to hear an opinion from, you know, someone who's not in it in Philly, like in the, you know, kind of think tank of everyone just being worried about them. You almost, it seems like you think the Sixers would do pretty well against the Celtics. Yeah, I, I like how you guys match up against them in, in a couple ways. I just don't think there's anything for you guys to do when it comes to the Bucks because kind of like you guys have all those options outside of Embiid, the Bucks have so many options around Giannis, and they've played around that same core for so many years. It's just like yeah. you've got Brooke Lopez there too, who guys forget about can give you 25 and hit five threes and swing a series like that. So it's tough, but, and that's why I agree, you know, with, with what Chuck said, I know, he, I know he caught some flag, but I mean, it's really just one, two and three in the East. Right. And then that one, that series between four and five is a toss up the Cavs and the, uh, and Nick series, is the only series I think where it's like, okay, you know, this one can go either way. We know the bucks. We know, we know the Celtics, we know the Sixers. I don't want to, I don't want to catch any flag from the Nets, but we know the Sixers are advancing, right? Like the Nets are <laughs> yeah. upsetting. Them. Well, to that point. So let's, I feel like we haven't talked about the actual current Nets very sure. much at all. So, you know, how has Mikhail Bridges surprised you with what he's done? Like obviously different team situation here. He's not playing off of Devin Booker and Chris Paul yeah. and they can, they just run more for him. He can get himself into a rhythm if he has a slow start, I guess. Has he exceeded your expectations just in terms of what he's capable of doing? Like set aside the scoring average is great. The efficiency is great, all that. But like, does he have more in the bag than you thought when he came here, hundred percent. And you know there there was there was evidence suggesting that when you saw the games where Devin Booker was hurt in Phoenix and you started to see Mikael Bridges step up and shoulder a little more of that offensive role, but no one saw this coming. I don't think Mikael saw this coming for himself. His teammates didn't see this coming. Cam Johnson, who came over with him in the trade, said, you know, he obviously saw the work that he put in in the back in 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 you know during the years, but. He had no clue that Mikhail was going to become this 27 point per game guy. And that's where I think the biggest difference is going to be for him now. Right. Like the the jig is up. Everybody knows, OK, this guy, this is the guy that the Nets are going to run their offense through. And can he handle that? Right. And I asked mm -hmm. him, like I said, I asked him about how the Sixers are going to garden him. He goes, hey, you know, I know it's going to be tough. I think it's going to be more than tough. I think it's going to be unlike anything he's ever really faced because you're in a playoff series now where a team is going to key in on you. And this is your first time really in that seat. So I think it's going to be tough on him. But to this point, he's been amazing. I mean, number one, the guy played 83 games, which is, I mean, the Nets. That's, <laughs> that's like unheard of. Yeah, if they wanted anything for Christmas, it's a guy that's going to be available every right. game. Yeah, year, right? so shout out to him for checking that box. On top of that, he's playing great defense as well. He gets mad when he plays good defense. He wants to play excellent defense every time he gets mad at himself. It's kind of sick in the head. But it, it, it's it's what makes him him. And then on top of that, his points come within the flow of the offense. He's never really like calling plays for himself or going out of the way to get a bucket. He's running off screens, hitting that midi, doing all types of stuff. So, um, yeah, I was a bit surprised to see him do this, but it makes sense. You know, he's been moved into this role. He said he molded his game after KD. You could tell by the mid-range jump shots that he takes. Um, but can he have that KD-like impact in the playoffs? I don't know. We'll find out. So, 
Yeah. It's been fun to watch him though, for sure. So you've covered so many different like iterations of this Nets team, right? The big three, then it was two and all. So this team, like this Nets team, I, I would guess that most Sixers fans have not seen them play much. They've only played the Sixers once with this current iteration. And I think it was the first game. It was. After the trade. Yeah. So mm -hmm. for fans that don't know a lot about the Nets, like this team at its best, what do the Nets do well that you've seen them, you know, when they, when they win, that they do well. And what are some obvious weaknesses of this current group? When the Nets play well, they look like the Toronto Raptors on defense. Um, and on offense, they look like one of those old, actually one of those old Houston Rockets teams that tried to just get up 53s in a game. Right. Yeah. And I know that sounds crazy, but the way this team is built, you have about seven or eight guys that can get out there and, and maybe shoot 10 threes a game and maybe hit four of them, right? And the mm -hmm. Nets are just doing that math. They don't want mid-range jump shots, even though Mikael Bridges is showing he can knock them down. They want you to shoot threes and get layups, right? And they're want you and they using that length and athleticism they have to kind of be that kind of like Toronto Raptors light-style defensive team where you can switch all that, where you got, we've got guys scrambling, guys are on a string. The defense has come along, right? And I think that that helps them a lot, especially in this series, because you're going to have to throw multiple guys at Joel Embiid, and everyone's going to have to be on the same page. Otherwise, Philly's going to pick you apart. Offensively, though, this team has been prone to sometimes going cold from three, which can hurt, especially when 60% of your offense is based on shooting as many threes as you can. Um, but that's going to be their only way forward. You don't have that many guys who can break down the offense. Cam Thomas, I don't know if we're going to see him play playoff minutes. He might, but he's fallen out of the rotation. Why? Because, you know, Jacques has said it two or three times. Just because Cam goes for 40 doesn't mean that's going to help the team win. It just looks nice on his stat sheet. So um, it, it's difficult because you see a team that's trying to figure it out in real time, but you also have to remember, hey, they were just assembled, you know, a couple months ago, and they're still trying to figure it out. Um, defensively, they have a lot of promise offensively i still think they need another one another one a type player for this team to right. really be that push in the playoffs um but it's a fun story you know it's a fun team they think they can win uh they might be able to steal a game i think if they're able to steal a game in philly one of these first two games then it becomes a series right because if you're going home and you're telling me that the nets have a win they have all the confidence in the world but if you're coming back to, to brooklyn o to two uh, i don't know how they bounce back from that well, and if you're ever looking at a scenario where the road team might win, it's the 1 p.m. first game right. of the playoffs start <laughs> after all these yeah. guys have taken over a week. All the starters have not played. The last game they will have played is last Thursday in Miami. So you're talking about a week and a couple of days since their last game. They'll be little out of rhythm their sleep schedules are fucked up hey, like, they're, you know, they're rigging it for these. the nets man you love to see it <laughs> but i'm not even saying like it's that's just what it is it, it's and you look at favorites in that kind of scenario i feel like i yeah. saw the toronto raptors with DeRozan and lowry lose that specific game maybe like eight different times <laughs> so yeah, look i i get it I, I, that just kind of comes with the territory so if they uh if the Sixers lose game one, I'm not going to be shocked. But um... you, well, I was going to say, do you think? Sorry, not not to interrupt, but like when I look at it, I see a Nets team where I think, in some ways, it's the perfect matchup for the Sixers. No playoff experience, like don't really oh, have yeah. a legit guy, all that. But on the flip side, they have no baggage. Like the Nets are coming in with nothing to play for. They are playing with house money. They can come in, they can lose for nothing. And frankly, it's still probably a successful year in some ways, just because you have Mikel who's played well.
Do you sense that from them? Like, do you sense almost a carefreeness of, you know what? Like, it's all on the Sixers, and we'll just kind of go in there and not have those expectations. I don't know if I would call it carefree because this team, like I said, this team, it, they don't necessarily believe that they're underdogs, even though they're the number six seed. They have this, I don't want to call it delusional confidence about them, but it is kind of that in a way where they feel like all you know, athletes they, have delusional. Confidence. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you know some more than others. Right. But like this, this team really <laughs> feels like they can push the Sixers for whatever reason. I don't know, because when you just line it up player for player, it just leans so significantly in Philly's favor. But, you know, I think the players have ultimate trust in Jacques Vaughn, which just shows, you know, where they came from the beginning of the season playing for Steve Nash and the dumps of fire that was Jacques done a great job with this team. Um, so, you know, I don't want to write them off. I think some people are saying sweep. I don't know if it's a sweep. Um, I think the Nets might be able to get one game, but I just think the Sixers are going to just be that type of opponent where what are you going to do when Joel Embiid is coming up and down the block every single time and there's nothing you can do about it? And then when you do try, someone else is going to score on you. It's, it's going to be difficult. Um, but credit to them, at least outwardly, they seem confident. So we'll see what happens. So I, I guess on the McHale front uh, sure. applied to the offense, while he's taken this leap forward, why do you think they're still struggling? I, I want to say they're bottom 10 in offense since the uh, since the roster was assembled. Obviously, assembling a roster on the fly, they're always going to be a lot of quirks. Like you're, you're not expecting them to be top 10 team on either end of the floor with that yeah. little time to gel. But I guess with him taking this big leap forward, why do you think they're still kind of lagging behind on that? And is it just as simple as they just don't have enough creators? They don't have the guy quote unquote to kind of lift them up when they go through these tough stretches. It's a little bit of that. It's also, you know, guys are still, well, at least for most of the regular season, I would hope they figured it out. Now they were still trying to figure out where they fit in, right? You had four new starters that all came in at the trade deadline, right? Trying to figure it out on the fly. You had guys that were starting that got moved to the bench, trying to figure out where, where they fit into the rotation. And then you had guys like Dorian Finney-Smith, who was shooting something like 40% from three, couldn't buy a bucket, couldn't hit an open shot for quite some time. You know, that's going to happen. That's going to be part of the game. And uh, especially the part where you're just like, missing open shots I think mean, a lot of that a lot of that has been just kind of shooting variants where guys are like hey you know we're gonna miss some hopefully those shots drop later in the season you know I, I think now first of all Jacques has probably cemented his rotation a bit right I don't, I don't even though he hinted towards the the idea that he might go past 10 guys I don't think he will I think he's probably going to be in that nine guy rotation right there um and all those guys know their roles I think that that's probably a lot of where that inefficiency came from not knowing where they're supposed to be not knowing where they're going to get their shots now that you have Mikhail Bridges as the focal point and he's accepted that role and you know the second guy is Spencer you know everything else kind of falls in, in play from there so um yeah I think we're going to see some good offense from the Nets um I'm not sure what the Sixers are going to have in store from them because the Nets are one of those teams where like there's not that much tape to read, to watch, right? Like there's only yeah. a couple, a couple weeks worth of tape where all guys have, have, uh, have played. And then on top of that, you know, Jacques didn't, didn't show his hand in either of the games that he played you guys, because the first game was right after the trade and the last game, nobody played. So mm -hmm. meanwhile, on the flip side of that, there's historical data based on what the Sixers are going to do, right? We know how you guys are going to play. So it, it, I think the Nets maybe have a slight advantage in that area, but it's going to be tough, man. It's tough for me to see the series going past five games. Um, I think Mikhail um, is the focal point. It's just a matter of, okay, is he your franchise cornerstone number one guy going forward, or do you need a number one guy for him to play with moving forward to win you a championship? So um, 
this year, this this playoff series will tell us a lot. I think if Mikhail's be able to be a guy that can win you a game in this series, you look at him as maybe that one A guy. And if the defense becomes too much for him to read and and react to, then you start to look at him as what he was in Phoenix, which was that second or third guy on the championship team. Yeah, and I, I do agree. They need a legit one. I just think he's more of a two on a, on a legit championship team. But look, you've hinted at it. I think it's pretty clear who you think is going to win the series. So just to wrap this up, I guess your final prediction, if you want to give one on, on how many games, but since really we know what you think about it. Also, I'd be curious, just like what would be your prediction for the Sixers in the playoffs? Like if they do beat the Nets, as we all kind of think, how many games do you think it goes? And then where do you think the Sixers season ends up? Um, That's a great question. I mean, you guys seem pretty scared of Boston, so I don't know if you're getting out of it. <laughs> don't seem like you guys are making it past that. But I'm, I think I'm a little bit more bullish on Philly than I am Boston this year, just because the way Boston kind of fell apart in the second half of the season. I feel like last year you watched the opposite, right, where they started off slow and then went the second half of the season and, and kind of just like lit it up right. from there in terms of Boston. This year is the, the the exact opposite, and I think Philly might be able to capitalize on that. So we'll see. Um, I've got Philly, at least right now, I think Philly will get to the second round. Um, I was taking them over Boston, but now that you guys are kind of cold on that idea. <laughs> yeah, that people aren't going to like this, so yeah. We'll, we'll take you guys out in the second round again. Apologies. All right. Uh, listen, that's uh, that's been where I, I think that it's a, as simple as they need to beat that team and they have to prove to themselves they can do it. And then the whole world just kind of opens up for them. That's yeah. where I've been. I'm at here for it. I, I want to see Celtics fans tears this summer. So uh, <laughs> uh, let's see. Let's have well, them out in the second round. Look, between saying you voted for Embiid for MVP and saying you want to see Celtic tears, I think you're going to be a very popular uh, man when you step in the Wells Fargo Center on uh, on Saturday for Game One. So that's kind of like that that, uh, that that tweet where you have two different people in the handshake and what they come together for. That's probably New York fans and Philly fans. <laughs> exactly. Boston, so uh, yeah, that'll do it. Exactly. All right, man. Well, look, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, super informative. Uh, excited for the series. Uh, you know, I'm sure we'll talk to you throughout it, but. Thanks so much for coming on. And um, look, it'll be a fun series. And we'll uh, maybe talk to you uh, later on. Oh, uh, yeah. Kyle, let's go grab that drink. You know, you know, <laughs> that drink, whether it's in Philly or New York. We'll yeah. Oh, if it comes to New York, we might have to grab more than a drink, brother. <laughs> oh, wait, no. Are you a, you're a family man? Never mind. Yeah. Well, look, good news. I'm not. A man, so we, can, uh, we, we can do some drinks if not. So, um, all right. Thank you guys, everybody, for listening. Uh, appreciate it. Make sure you hit that auto download button to get the pods first. And we'll talk to you for a preview of the series uh, on Friday. Amen. Oh,